really believe in God for both a process of breakthrough this morning and a sudden breakthrough on the freedom from people-pleasing. I do believe that God can do that suddenly, supernaturally and miraculously in a moment, but also he can kick a process off through an awareness and revelation that you might gain this morning or that you might already know that's something you think, actually, I struggle with that. A new covenant lens, remember, we're talking about that, it's the finished work of Jesus. A new covenant lens causes us to see that we are right with God entirely as a gift. And that Jesus plus anything ruins everything. And uh, from this position of being right with God as a pure gift, that begins to transform how we think, how we see, our actions, our behaviour and our priorities. And it also impacts our relationships with other people, within our own family and within the church family. That the gospel is not just about a person being right with God. God connects us and builds us into a family and transforms the way that we relate to other people around us. So this morning I want to look at, particularly from Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, how the gospel sets us free from people-pleasing. Paul said this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We saw last week that Paul did have that, that leaning or propensity towards people-pleasing. He did things for the attention of his peers. He said, look, I'm progressing in Judaism beyond my peers. He was comparative, maybe even a little competitive, did things for approval, a little bit more praise, a little bit more favour. But now he's saying, I'm living only for the attention and pleasure of one person. And the fact he's saying, I'm living for an audience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, produced this incredible focus and direction and courage in his life. Real freedom in the gospel is ultimately only really possible when our deepest desire is to please ultimately only one person, and that's the Lord Jesus, that's God. Read that verse again. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So the power of the gospel, the power of being right with God as a gift, has the potential to liberate us from a prison cell of people-pleasing. Because what the gospel does, and living for an audience of only Jesus does, it boils everything down and simplifies every decision in the whole of your life. Suddenly it's only about what does he think. Not about what others think, not even about what I think. Every decision, choice and conversation we engage in, the priority is really, really plain. Is it going to please Jesus? As one writer says, it's easier to live 100% committed than 80%. It's 
easier to say I'm 100% in than it is to say I'm 80% in. Because that 20% then leaves you with a whole load of choices. And so saying I'm totally following you, Jesus, everything I do is to please you. It helps us with so many decisions. Like, shall I go to that movie? Will it please Jesus? Shall I read the book, this book? And what I want to say is, we do not have a list of movies that we say Christians shouldn't read, or a list of books Christians shouldn't read, or a list of movies that they shouldn't go to. The Bible says, find out what pleases the Lord. But when we say, I want to live for you, God, we can say, I know that that movie or that book wouldn't be good for me. I won't make that purchase. I won't take that job. Or I will take that job. Maybe it makes us clear on will we go on that date or won't we go on that date or will we marry that person or won't we marry that person will I move to this area or won't I move to that area do I buy that house or don't I buy that house do I take that job or don't take that job do I say yes to that promotion or no to that promotion do I join in on this conversation or don't I do I start this or stop this thing everything when you're living as a servant for Jesus gets boiled down to I'm living to please the Lord. And that delivers us from what certain psychologists call decision fatigue. Once you've made a decision, you don't have to make that decision every day. Like, personally, Rochelle and I have made a decision that the gathering of the church is our priority. I don't make that decision on Saturday night. And you might say, of course you don't make that decision. You're paid by the church to be at church. I made that decision before I was ever employed by the church and Rochelle too. We don't make a decision on giving our finances every month. That's decision is saying, no, actually, I want to give generously to your kingdom purposes through the work of the church. That's a decision. And sometimes when we say, I'm only living to please Jesus, sometimes that will really please other people in the decision to please them, to please God, you will at times, many times, numerous times, please people. Because you'll love people well, and you'll serve people well, and you'll be sacrificial in your time and generous with your resources. You will delight people as you seek first to serve Jesus, and then you serve other people. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes the decision to say, I'm living for an audience of one, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ as my primary focus. Sometimes it won't please people. Sometimes it will hurt. Sometimes choosing to live ultimately for God and not for people will be costly in your life. Having to say no, speaking up, it might cause opportunities to be lost. Paul says, I know that struggle. He said, I choose to please Jesus above everything, and that created discomfort, at times lack, at times loneliness. He said at one point he had to give an account for following Jesus, and nobody turned up at his trial, but he said God turned up and enabled him to speak. It produced loneliness, it produced persecution, it produced pain. This single-minded decision had huge implications, but he also said, a single-minded life gave him deep joy, and he says ultimately it was all worth it. Paul was hunted, beaten, robbed, imprisoned, 
stoned nearly to death for this one choice to say Jesus is Lord. Huge thing to say in the ancient world, Jesus Christ is Lord. It put you on people's persecution list. And then he could say in Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. So I want to look briefly at how do we kill people pleasing so that we live only for an audience of one. First key, choose your master wisely. Choose your master wisely. Somebody is your master right now. You say, no, I'm free. No, actually, somebody's mastering you. It's either you're mastering yourself, or you're mastered by fear, or you're mastered by the Lord. Who is your master? Paul says, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is a really tough message, but we actually, in the gospel, when we come to Christ, we actually do say, Jesus is Lord. We have to be so careful that the prayer we prayed, or the response we made, wasn't just to have fire insurance for when we die. Early church, Jesus is Lord. Nero's not Lord. That's why they went to the Colosseum. On that one statement, Jesus is Lord. Choose, we need to choose our master really, really carefully. Paul refused the master that created fear and at the same time was stealing his life. He says, no, Jesus is life. I'm following him. He refused the master that increased his shame. Shame is I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm not enough to belong. He refused that master that would increase shame and steal peace. He refused the master that would take him hostage and make him prisoner to pleasing people, pleading for their <coughs> affection and approval, and placating people, over-apologising to people. He, he refused a master that would increase his insecurity whilst increasing his, while increasing his love for people. People-pleasing will master us through fear. When we are afraid, we operate out of self-preservation and self-protection. The result is withdrawal from people rather than engagement with people from a place of wholehearted trust and joy in God. One of the effects of people-pleasing is a withdrawal. So Paul chose a better master. He saw that his previous way of life of people-pleasing was shallow, short-sighted, and empty. That's the first one. We have to choose who's going to be my master. Who's going to master me? Number two, loving people well is different to people-pleasing. Loving people well is different to people-pleasing. We can't serve Christ and at the same time people-please. We have to eventually decide Christ is my master and pleasing him alone 
is my only choice. So how do we know if we're people-pleasing instead of actually loving people? One of the things we can notice if we're people-pleasing is this. Are we emotionally tied to other people's well-being and the emotions of another individual way of another, of another individual in a way that's unhealthy. I'll say that again. We can tell if we're people pleasing because we feel emotionally tied to another person's well-being and the emotions of another individual in an health in an unhealthy way. For example, do we ever feel bad just because another person feels bad? Or do we ever say, I can't feel good until the other person feels good? In other words, we are, we are held hostage by the emotional well-being of another human being. It can look like the desire to anxiously solve problems for others, not because it helps them, but it because it helps us. And in serving other people, we're actually serving our self. People pleasing can look like this, playing roles in different situations in order to work, in order to work on the opinions of other people. In other words, we show up in a room and we put on costumes and we change our views and what we think in order to manage the opinions of other people, which we know is absolutely impossible, but the illusion is that if we behave like this and we say stuff like that, we can somehow work on the opinions of people. Peter struggled with people-pleasing. It's good to know that our heroes in the faith struggled with people-pleasing. Obviously, we know he denied Christ when the slave girl asked him, he says, I don't know that man, and then he wept bitterly. But actually, we find that years later in Antioch, Peter was still struggling with the approval of people. He acted inconsistent with the gospel. For example, the church has got Jews, it's got Gentiles, it's got people from different backgrounds, and the gospel has said, look, no one has to uh, withdraw from other people, but we don't have to have special food laws anymore, and we don't need to practice circumcision. And Paul, at one point, Peter, at one point, is eating with everyone. He's just sitting with everyone. He's sitting with non-Jews. He's sitting with Gentiles. And then these important people come into Antioch, who Paul says are like the Judaizers, the circumcision party. And Peter withdraws from eating with everyone and now only eats with who he thinks are the powerful people. He acted differently to fit in so that he wouldn't suffer loss and wouldn't be disapproved of because he was afraid of what people thought. So Paul confronted this hypocritical behaviour to his face. Paul was absolutely preoccupied with only two things. What glorifies Jesus and he confronted anything that undermined the gospel. His conviction gave him courage and said to Peter to his face, you are acting in hypocrisy because with, when those people weren't around, you ate with everyone. And now important people are coming in. Now you've withdrawn from them and now you're following people who have only food laws and you're distancing yourself. And that undermined the gospel. 
The gospel tells us that God lovingly sees behind all of our performances. He sees behind all of our costume changes. He sees behind all of our chameleon activity. You know the chameleon? It changes its colour to fit its environment. God sees all through that and says, I see you, I know you, I love you, and nothing can separate you from my love. You are fully seen, you are fully known, and you are fully loved. So the gospel has to penetrate deep into us so that it affects not just our idea of being right with God, but our sense of self and the way we engage with people around us. Number three, always do what God says to do. Not every decision we make, and most of the decisions we make, we can't necessarily find a verse, can we? Like, you know, the Bible can come alive in a moment and show us about certain things, but often there isn't always a right or a wrong decision, is there? It's like, that's right, and so is that. So here's a few questions we can ask when confronted with a decision. In this decision, what choice will make me more like Jesus? What choice will make me more like Jesus? In this decision, what would make me rely most on God? What would bring most help to other people and help other people get closer to God? What would bring him the most glory? There's just a few questions, but we can pause in our decisions and say, I've made a decision I'm living 100% for Jesus. What choice can I make in this situation to most glorify him? Respond to opportunities and requests from a place of peace rather than a fear of disappointing someone. It's quite a good idea to create a mechanism that helps you pause before saying yes. We know, don't we, if we're struggling with people-pleasing, We've said yes before we even know what we're really saying yes to. Brenny Brown, the writer, says this. When she gets asked a question, she gets her a ring and she turns it around 360 degrees before she gives the answer. And grabbing the ring and turning it around is her saying, is this a good decision? Is this a people-pleasing decision? Am I saying yes because I don't want to disappoint someone? So maybe we can say, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. Finally, number four, obey God in private and in public. We can ask ourselves, is there a difference between our public self and our private self? Who are we when we're all alone, when no one is looking? Who are we when we think we can get away with it? And we can say to Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, make me aware of the enormous, never-ending, ever-growing prize of pleasing you, regardless of whether anyone sees or not. We often see that in the Old Testament. We see the backstory of someone like David. There were many, many private victories before there was a huge public victory against Goliath. And we see private moments where he served his brothers and he served his family bravely by slaying, slaying the lion and the bear privately that set him up for a public victory. And even if there is never any public victory, 
even if no one ever sees or no one ever saw, even if it was never celebrated by another human being, you know and God knows that those choices in private are made because I love you, God, and because I'm 100% in in following you. And that's a whistle-stop quick tour. Let's pause. Maybe right now you're aware that something in that list of people-pleasing is impacting you and affecting you. Maybe you feel terrified of disappointing someone if you say no. Maybe you feel exhausted because in every environment you're putting on different costumes and different masks to try and manage people's opinions. Maybe you're aware right now that there's a, there's a public you and there's a private you. There's a public expression of, I'm following Jesus, but you know that privately there's a lot of compromise, but you don't want to be honest because you don't want the disapproval of people. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've got a choice to make and you're frightened because you're thinking it, making the right choice could be costly and I could lack. The first moment with God is awareness. Remember, we're right with God as sheer grace and sheer gift. So what happens when the Holy Spirit convicts us in a moment of awareness? Does that mean that suddenly he's disapproving of us? Does that mean that suddenly he withdraws his love and affection? Does that mean he won't love us until we overcome? Well, we understand from all the chapters we've read, no, that's not true. Because Jesus paid for everything. And so in this moment, we might be aware. God, I'm aware of people-pleasing in my life. And the next step is we come to a God who is kind, loving, merciful, compassionate, benevolent and good. We come to God just as we are. We say, I'm going to come to you as the Bible reveals that you are. I'm not coming to a harsh judge. I'm not coming to a cruel taskmaster. I'm not coming to a punisher. I'm going to lay aside any image of God that does not fit the revelation of God that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was gracious and kind, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who was merciful, who had empathy and understood, who drew near, didn't withdraw. And so we come to God in awareness and we come saying, I think I'm <coughs> going to need a power that's not coming from me because Maybe even in this moment we're aware that people-pleasing is in our bones. We might be aware that it's everywhere. We might be aware that it's in the way I think, it's in the way I speak, it's in the way I interact, it's everywhere in me. We might think, well, I don't even know where to start. How would I even know where to start? No, we come and say there is one who works in the very DNA of our lives, in the very bones of our body and brings transformation. We don't start with ourselves. We don't leave this morning saying, I'm going to do better, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to modify myself. We're aware and we come to him in a need of power. So even in this moment, we're going to say, God, I need your power. We might say, I recognize this thing. It's in my DNA, it's in my bones, it's in my default position. It's in the way I see the world, it's in the way I see relationships. God, move right forward through me, begin a process of transformation, bring a process of change. I'm recognizing my need of you. 
I'm recognising God. I'm looking for the freedom giver, the liberator to come and work. I'm understanding that you love me even with this. So, God, this is not the agenda to try and impress you. I'm aware. I'm inviting power. I'm saying I can't do it for myself. I need you. And then we ask for help. We say, break me out of cycles. Break me out of cycles. Break me out of cycles. Give me help, God. Maybe we feel that if we have to say something that someone else will be disappointed about or they might disapprove of or they might feel that we've let them down, we feel tense and tight. And so we then go back into the cycle of trying to please them, trying to placate them, trying to act in a certain way. It's a cycle and it's a default. We don't even know. We've just gone in it again. Because it's been the way we've worked and acted for years. And so we need help. We need someone who's got help for us. Someone who's going to give us wisdom and help. So we're aware. Awareness is another word for convicted. We're aware that an area of our life needs to be renewed in a new way of thinking. And we're coming for power. We're asking for help because we're just aware that we get into the cycle so quickly. And then we're saying we surrender to him. We say, I want you to be my master. If I would choose a master, I would choose a master like the Lord Jesus Christ, who's kind and powerful and gracious and merciful and true, whose love is unending whose kindness and mercy is new every morning, who is always full of hope and joy, who separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. I want a master like you. We surrender. I don't want to be a hard taskmaster on myself, and I don't want to be a slave of people-pleasing either. So I choose a master like Jesus. I say, if I want to come under anyone's authority, I want to come under the authority of the Lord Jesus. If pleasing people was my goal, I would not be a servant of Christ Jesus. He sees the slightest movement of faith and gives the gift of faith. You might be thinking this morning, actually, I just chose Jesus because I, I didn't want to go to hell. And, and you might, if you're really honest, thinking, I don't really know what Paul's talking about when he says I'm actually only serving the Lord Jesus. And maybe in your heart of hearts you think, I don't really know Jesus, really. I've not really made a decision. But maybe in your heart you think, I want a God like Jesus. He sees the smallest inclination, the smallest move of your heart. Even in this moment now, you say, King Jesus, would you be my Lord? Would you come and be the master of my life? I want to follow you. Jesus, I want you to lead me and direct me and to guide me in all the decisions of my life, of what I do with my time and my thinking and my words and where I go and how I live. I want it all to come under the freeing lordship of the Lord Jesus. 
I want to live it all under the canopy and the protection of your wings. Every aspect of my life, my time, my ambitions, my finance, my money, my gifts and my talents and abilities, my family, my relationships, my workplace, all of it come under your lordship. One decision, one decision, that it all might come under the lordship of the Lord Jesus. And we'll grow in these things. We'll grow in them. We might be like toddlers at first, falling over more than we get up. But he's patient and kind and will lead and guide and direct and give us power. Thank you.